And uh, grab your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 2, Proverbs 2, and uh, we've been doing a topical series through Proverbs. This is really because I've neglected Proverbs in my life uh, for really my whole ministry. I've encouraged people that if you're looking for a simple Bible reading plan, although I would recommend the one that we're doing, right? But if you're looking for a simple one for you to do, uh, uh, Billy Graham once recommended reading a psalm a day and a chapter of Proverbs a day. And I've always loved that, always encouraged that, but I've not always been the best at doing that. And so this is me forcing myself to do better with the book of Proverbs. This is me learning the Bible right along with you. And we're looking at Proverbs as uh, through the topical lens. And we've looked at wisdom for uh, women, wisdom for families. And now we want to look at wisdom for marriage. Proverbs chapter 2, you'll find it on page 561 of your pew Bibles. And with that, if you will, stand with me out of reverence for God's holy word. We'll start in verse 1. We'll go down to verse 17. Solomon writes on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you will call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity in every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked, who are devious in their ways. So ye will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her slew words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her gods. Go, Lord, in prayer. Our Father, I ask, as always, that you would open our hearts, that we would receive your word, our mind, that we would understand it, our, 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 our eyes, that we would see your glory, our ears, that we would hear and heed your word, our mouth, that we would speak the, the hope that is within us, and our hands and our feet, that we will go in obedience to the gospel. Transform us by your love for your glory. May I decrease so that you can increase. In the name your son, we pray. Amen. Well, it was big news about a week or two ago that a new edition of what we call the Wicked Bible was found and will soon be put up for auction. Have you ever heard of the Wicked Bible? It is a real thing. Uh, You can Google it. You can look it up. It is a Bible much like any other Bible. In fact, it is a copy of the 1611 King James Bible, so you know it's the right Bible. It was published in 1631, and 1,000 copies of it were printed, but now roughly only about 20 exists. It has become known as the Wicked Bible, all because it is missing a single word. I'll throw it up here, and you tell me if you can find it. Thou shalt commit adultery. This is why it's known not just as the wicked Bible, but throughout history has been known as the adulterer's Bible or even the sinner's Bible. 
It took an entire year for people to discover the misprints. Or so they say, right? I don't know, preacher. That's not what my Bible says, right? I don't know. There may have been that one or two guys. No doubt. The printers, as a result, whenever this mistake, this misprint was found, were rushed and summoned before King Charles I himself. They were then stripped of their printing license, fined 300 pounds, or several thousand dollars now, and most of those misprinted Bibles were then destroyed. And again, only about 20 remain in circulation. A new one was recently found and will soon be put up to auction. So, you know, my birthday is coming in a few months. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. All right. Well, I saw this story and I was thinking about our series about marriage. And I can't help but think if a, if a misprint like this, and Bibles to this day, every once in a while we'll have a misprint. I, I used to work in a Christian bookstore. People would bring Bibles in with misprints and mistakes in them every once in a while. But if, if this misprint were put in our Bibles today, would anyone really notice? And would anyone care? And would we call it wicked? You think about the extreme that the printers that, that, that went through against these printers to put them before the king to bring justice upon them because of a simple mistake of not putting the word not in, in front of committed adultery. Maybe it's because back then marriage was held at a much higher level than it is today. No doubt that's the, what is happening today. In fact, if you are married for more than six weeks, you are considered, uh, you know, uh, against the, the trend. But Proverbs has a lot to say about marriage, rightly so, because it is the first and primary government of society. And, and like we've seen with, with a lot of our Proverbs, we can't look at everything the Bible has to say about each subject, but we can zero in on some of what Proverbs has to say about it. And what we find about Proverbs is what it offers about various topics is usually pretty straightforward and simple. Two things to look for uh, for us today in the book of Proverbs about marriage. The first thing is marriage is covenantal. It is covenantal. It is not contractual, nor is it simply a certificate. The Bible opens up with creation, and then it moves to celebrate a wedding. And in that first wedding, we see what marriage actually is. Marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman with their maker. It is God who gifts Adam and Eve with marriage. It is God who stands at the center of their marriage. When they rebel against God, they manage to rebel against each other. Marriage is a covenant. It is not merely a, a, a contractual arrangement. It is the binding of two souls before their maker. It is commitment towards unity with the, with the beauty of diversity. It is love for a sinner. It, it practices patience in real time, regular forgiveness, and the focus, the center of a godly marriage must be on the Savior. In Proverbs, Solomon is concerned. Remember that Proverbs is really from a father to a son, a king to his heir, and it gives him words of wisdom as he will rule, reign, and live his life. And so here we have Solomon is concerned that his son will confuse marriage with a cheap off-brand. And this is why he is constantly warning his son to, to stray away from lust. 
Because at its root, lust, adultery, and fornications are violations of the covenant of marriage. We get that in this passage we just read. We read the first 17 verses to, to get a sense of what it is Solomon's doing here. He writes to my son, if you will receive these words and if you will follow them, you will avoid of, of a lot of mistakes and, and problems. And you'll notice in verse 6, the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. And that leads to what he says there in verse 16. Here is wisdom. With wisdom you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress and her smooth words. And here it is. Who forsakes her own companion and her covenants with her God. Notice how Yeezy Solomon connects the, the marriage and covenant. How he sees that one's covenant with God is often manifesting in one's covenant with their spouse. Marriage is covenantal. And so, like Adam, Solomon sees two key things about marriage that are worth highlighting here today. Again, this cannot be exhaustive. The first thing is the distinction. Men and women are different. That will land me in beggar's prison before long. Just that statement. When Adam woke up after Eve stole from his rib, uh, from his side, uh, and he saw Eve for the very first time, he noticed a few things. And what's interesting is the first recorded words from Adam towards his wife is a love poem. You hear that, ladies? He wrote love poems. Your husband probably won't, but her husband did. Right? So Genesis 2.23, uh, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. By the way, it's a good Johnny Cash song. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. This is a poem. Notice what he, he noticed there. He sees similarity, but what sticks out to him is distinction. He sees that they are different physically. After all, the next verse will say they were naked and not ashamed. They were different emotionally. They are different mentally. They are different spiritually. Which is why how we love and how we receive love is different from that of our spouse. How we respond to situations is different. But although different, Adam understands that the two, man and woman, are compatible and complete with each other. His strengths are her weaknesses. His weaknesses, her strengths. This is why I suspect why we often notice that opposites do attract. Whenever my wife and I started dating, first time she ever came home to my parents' house, my, my mother was, was gone. It was just going to be a guy's night out. My brother and sister were in college or whatever they were doing. Who cares? But it was just me and dad, right? We were going to do a man's night out, right? That meant steaks on the grill and a dude's movie, right? Man's night out, right? And, and, and so I, I just started dating Amanda, and I thought, well, can I bring a new girlfriend over? He's like, sure. We're still having steaks. We're still watching our movie. He's like, okay, whatever. And I was convinced. She would love dad's grilled steaks. I mean, they are, they, 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 they make you want to prolong getting to heaven, right? I mean, just like, okay, come Lord Jesus quickly after I finish dinner, right? It, it's that good. I mean, it, it, it make you want to smack your mama. Is that, is that how you say it? Is that what you say with Cracker Barrel biscuits? Is that the phrase? I don't know. Anyways, uh, so they're really good. And I thought she'd hate the movie. We're watching Gladiator. Right, a dude's movie. I'm not recommending Gladiator. I'm just saying we watch Gladiator. It's a dude's movie. She'll love the steaks, hate the movie. Well, boy, was I wrong. In the McDonald house, our steaks are red because we're 
uh, saved by the blood of the Lamb, right? <laughs> right? The Old Testament law don't apply to us no more, the glory of God, right? I want to know that thing was once living, and now it is dead, and now I ate it to the glory of God. And, and, and we want them thick. We want thick, juicy, red meat to the glory of God. My wife prefers thin paper that you burn, right? You, you ever meet these people? Pray for their souls. And, and, right? and, and come to find out, she loved the war movies. Lord of the Rings was big back then. Loved the war movies. Hated the stakes. And I thought, well, this may not work out. No, but uh, and to this day, we just, we just cannot agree on, on how food should be cooked. We first got married. Uh, when I would work late, uh, she, she would do dinner. She wouldn't work late and then vice versa. And so she was working late this day. And so I, I cooked dinner and, and fixed me some mashed taters. The way I was raised, mashed taters. You know, they were mashed, but they weren't mush. You know what I'm saying? Like you can actually tell that these were once potatoes in there, right? So I like to be able to chew my potatoes. You shouldn't be able to drink them through a straw. And well, she disagrees with that. And so, I, I mean, I knew, I knew she, she liked them a little mushy. So I worked really hard to get them away. She thought, and that would be the last time I fix her mashed potatoes. I spent forever on those things, right? Opposites do often attract. But a healthy couple in a gospel marriage will slowly discover that it's those, those differences that bring them together. So differences that bring unity. It's those differences that you see. It's not differences. It's really compatibility. Likes and dislikes. The way things are approached. And that leads to the second thing that Solomon sees here that, that Adam brings. And that is unity. Unity. Though distinct, God makes them one. So you'll see in Genesis 2, 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Why? Distinct, yet one. The beauty of marriage is how God takes two people, different in a variety of ways, and brings them together. They are one. Now the assumption here is that the couple will agree on everything. That's not what the Bible means by unity. Unity does not mean cloning. Unity in marriage is teamwork. It is intimate. It is togetherness. Remember that the Bible opens up with the Creator who then blesses us with wedding, but then it moves from a wedding to war. And ever since then, marriage is something we have to fight for. And so what you see is often the primary thing that threatens your marriage is disunity, that which will attack unity. Think about it. Perhaps no one in this world will divide and conquer your marriage better than your children. You know how this works, right? Hey, Dad, can I go do X, Y, and Z? Ask your mother. Well, Mom said no. He, he or she wants Dad to say yes. And every time that happens, I have to say, look, 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 look. You need to know that you're robbing us of our unity. If your mother said no, even if I disagree with your mother, I'm not going to disagree with her in front of you, Right? I'm on her side. We'll have a conversation later. But don't, don't pit me against my spouse. And children are excellent at that. It's divide and conquering. Temptation will divide and conquer. Isn't that what it is we saw here in verse, verse 12? Right? She forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. Temptation will divide and conquer. After all, temptation is a lot easier whenever we are isolated. Whenever we feel alone. Sin will divide and conquer. After all, go back to the story of Adam and Eve. When sin enters into the relationship, what happens? The two that became one were one who eventually became two. 
They separate from each other. They, they clothe themselves. They hide. And they start blaming each other for their own problems and their own mistakes and sins. Proverbs 6 um, says, Can a man marry, uh, carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. You are carrying fire thinking you will not be burned. Unity in marriage is significant. It begins, first of all, with spiritual unity. This is why the Bible is very clear. You must only marry those in whom you share unity when it comes to matters of faith, theology, and truth. You do not want to begin your marriage with disagreements. Spiritual unity is the key to intimacy. Parental unity, relational unity, physical unity. Proverbs speaks of all of this regarding the latter. Let the, your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. That language is interesting because in chapter 2, she is forsaking the husband of her youth. Here it's saying rejoice in the wife of your youth. Intimacy, unity is key to the covenant of marriage. When sin and life and stress and everything else comes to divide your marriage, it is pivotal that unity becomes the focus. So marriage is covenantal. It is also relational. Again, this, none of this is brand new, especially if you have any familiarity with the Bible. All of this is, 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 is common sense. However, I will say that in most marital books, seminars, sermons, all the rest, much is said about male and female. We've done some of that today. Much is said about unity and love, spending time together, making memories, being a good listener, the importance of honesty, communication, all that sort of stuff. One of the things that strikes me that really sticks out in Proverbs to me is very little is ever said about friendship. But the Bible is clear that the Proverbs regarding friendship do apply to marriage. Can I, can I show you where I get this biblically? In Song of Solomon, written by the same guy, it's in the same uh, 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 genre of wisdom. His mouth is most sweet. He is altogether desirable. This is my beloved. This is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. How come we've never noticed that? You know, we've never noticed. I found a lot of people, first time they read Song of Solomon, they're put off by the fact that uh, the groom will call his, his wife sister. And they never notice that he also calls her friend. Right there in the text. We often assume that infatuation and attraction are enough to maintain a marriage. But ask yourself, what attracted you to your spouse to begin with? Well, for me, it was, I thought my wife's most uh, beautiful one i ever seen, and no one still compares to her. And I knew nothing else uh, about her except she's beautiful, and I better go talk to her. What did she know and notice about me? I have brown eyes. That's pretty much where that stopped, right? And can I give you something I've learned the hard way? There's a large percent of men with brown eyes. <laughs> you know? So that's, that's, you know, it's like uh, I'm not sticking out that much, right? Attraction and infatuation are insufficient for longevity in any relationship. You know, studies show that what men and women are looking for in a marriage is connection often through friendship. 
one uh, expert put it this way, I didn't put it up there. Um, the determining factor in whether wives feel satisfied with the sex, romance, and passion in their marriage is by 70% the quality of the couple's friendship. For men, the determining factor is by 70% the quality of the couple's friendship. So men and women do come from the same planet after all, he adds. Quote, happy marriages are based on a deep friendship. By this, I mean a mutual respect for and the enjoyment of each other's company. These couples tend to know each other intimately. They are well-versed in each other's likes, dislikes, personality quirks, hopes, and, 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 and dreams. They have an abiding regard for each other and express their fondness, not just in the big ways, but in little ways, day in and day out. Friendship fuels the flames of romance because it offers the best protection against feeling adversarial against towards one's spouse. A good illustration of this comes from the 16th century. This is before the Wicked Bible was published. Between Martin Luther and Katie Von Bora, both had been uh, had taken monastic vows, uh, Luther being a monk. Uh, Katie being a nun. And when they got married, it was the official severing of those vows, which was quite scandalous at this time. One of the interesting things is how Luther openly confessed he had no interest in marrying Katie. His only motivation was to throw shade at all of his critics. Luther would have been great in Twitter sphere. I'm just, I'll just be honest with you, right? In fact, he went on to say he didn't find Katie attractive. He wasn't interested in marrying her. He spent significant time trying to get rid of her on multiple occasions. She was engaged. He set up uh, a lot of nuns would come to him. He would find partners for them, and they would be married off. Luther thought he would be executed too soon to, to, to get married. So he tried to get. He couldn't get rid of Katie. He thought, well, I guess I am literally like the last person on the face that you're planning for you to marry, right? I mean, so, so he married her. It wasn't rooted in love. It was really rooted in, in spite. However, as their marriage continued, you can read it in letters and everything else between them, they, they, it really started to blossom. Whenever they first got married, they would both sit at the kitchen table and not say a word to each other. Frustrated, Katie would then ask, Dear Doctor, is the prime minister of Prussia the duke's brother? At which point he knew what she was doing. He would get mad, but that would at least get him talking, right? But as time went on, you could read their letters and things changed. They would tease each other off and on. He would call her Lord Katie or Dear Rib or the Empress. And even beyond that, they referred to each other as my true love and my sweethearts. Near the end of his life, Luther wrote, The greatest gift of grace a man can have is a pious, God-fearing, home-loving wife whom he can trust with all his goods, body, and life itself, as well as having her as the mother of his children. You see, what the Bible has to say about friendship, we'll, we'll explore that in more detail next week, but much of what the Bible has to say about friendship applies to your marriage. Can I give you just a few examples here? Proverbs 18, 24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I can think of one. Can you? Proverbs 17, 9, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Can you think of a relationship where two people are supposed to be one until sin enters into the story and now you become two? Proverbs 17, 17, again, all of these are in your notes. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. 
Take out the word brother and add spouse. Proverbs 27, 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. A few verses later, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. I think C.S. Lewis put it well in his book, The Four Loves, which I would recommend to you. Eros has naked bodies. Friendship has naked personalities. See, there is much that will ruin marital friendship. And this is why Proverbs warns us of foolishness. Can I give you two ways, two acts of foolishness that will ruin the friendship of your marriage? The first is foolish words. Again, in a few weeks, we'll have more to say about these. Proverbs 18.6, a fool's lips walks into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. That was written by a guy, I guarantee it. All right. Proverbs 28.4, those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but those who keep the law strive again. Notice, notice what it is that you are praising. Your words. Foolish words will ruin a friendship. Foolish anger will ruin a friendship. Proverbs 15.18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Proverbs 30, for pressing milk produces curds, pressing the nose produces blood, pressing anger produces strife. Don't you just love the Proverbs? They're not saying anything that is new, but it puts it away, it's very convicting. What did Solomon say in his love poem? The groom, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine and my milk. This is one of the, the more passionate uh, uh, chapters in Song of Solomon. Then notice, notice here, it's often put in your Bibles as others. We don't know who's speaking here. Eat, friends. Drink and be drunk with love. Friends. Can I give you one possible interpretation of who the others are? I think it's God speaking. This character just pops up out of nowhere. When the friends are, are speaking, she has friends, right? He has, he has uh, 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 colleagues. But in, in, Solomon, in Song of Solomon, she has friends. He has to win them as much as he has to win her. Here, it's not her friends. It's, it's, it's someone else. I think it very well could be God. And what is he saying? Eat, friends. Let me drunk in love. Well, when it comes to marriage... It's easy for us to focus on typical issues, how to date your spouse, how to balance children and marriage, how to lead well, how to manage stress, how to improve communication, how to handle finances, what to do with the outlaws, how to speak each other's language, how to improve intimacy, and all those things have their place. But Proverbs wants you to discover two things. One, a unity that is deeper than sameness. And a love that is deeper than infatuation. Both of which Christ models for us. Having reconciled to us to God, he reconciles us with each other. No marriage then is beyond the reach of the gospel. For a marriage is but a picture of what God has done for us and with us in Christ. As we've been reconciled to him, so we are to be reconciled with, with one another. Surely we can find that with our spouses. 
In fact, this was reassured to us by Christ himself just on the eve of his execution. John 15, 15. I no longer call you servants or disciples or apostles or anything else. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. I call you friends. It's interesting, isn't it? Or as Solomon put it in his love poem. We had this, I read this at virtually every wedding I do even if they don't want me to. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of Yahweh. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he'd be utterly despised. Do you remember what we said early on? The Bible opens up with a wedding. And it moves quickly to war. But it ends with a war that climaxes in a wedding. How Christ loves his bride is how we are called to love each other as a husband and wife. And that can only happen, we think, because he turns graves into gardens. Let's go to Lord in prayer.